Welcome to The Opportunity Gap, a podcast for families of kids of color who learn and think differently. We explore issues of privilege, race, and identity, and our goal is to help you advocate for your child. I'm Julian Saavedra. And I'm Marissa Wallace. Julian and I worked together for years as teachers in a public charter school in Philadelphia, where we saw opportunity gaps firsthand. And we're both parents of kids of color, so this is personal to us. Welcome back to The Opportunity Gap. I'm here with my co-host, Marissa, and our producer, Andrew. Marissa, how are you? Oh, I'm, I'm good, Julian, you know, but I do have a crazy story to tell you. This is a wild story. So today, while I was working with one of my students, I like overhear this conversation. Romario's on the phone. Romario is my husband, and um, so he is... On the phone, having this conversation, sounds all jazzed. He's saying, you know, oh, well, if I had a choice, like I'd either choose Washington, D.C. or New York City. And I'm like, what is this? Sounded kind of job related. So he gets off the phone. He's, listen, he's, I just got this like great offer. And I'm like, oh, tell me more. Now, mind you, my husband is in school for finance. He is, you know, someone who prior to finance was into engineering. So that's like his like area of expertise. So he's like, yeah, he's this company called and they wanted to know if I would be interested in taking a special education teaching position and I could relocate. Right. And they'd give me a sign on bonus. And I'm like, Oh, and I'm like, we're that desperate. We are that desperate in the United States right now that we are just looking at people's LinkedIn and being like, oh, hey, even though nothing on your LinkedIn page screams educator, you're not certified. But let me call you and offer you the red carpet because that is how much we are in need of teachers. Isn't that wild? And Uh, he was ready to go for it. No, no shade to my brother, my good brother, Romario. No shade to him. But. He's not qualified to be a special education teacher at all. Not at all. Even maybe like a math teacher, science, but like they went right in for a special education teacher. I'm just floored that that came out of nowhere. Now I'm like curious. I'm like, what is on his LinkedIn site? Like, I know he has a picture. So I'm like, are they like profiling? They're like, oh, black male. Let me call this guy and offer him a job. Or was there something in, like, what was it that made this company think that they were going to get him to be a special education teacher of of all things? So, Marissa, that is actually a really good introduction into what we're talking about today, specifically how the teacher shortage Mm -hmm. is impacting the entire nation. Absolutely. Andrew did some research regarding the teacher shortage. Andrew, you want to tell us a little bit about what your findings were? Yeah, here's a really interesting article from ABC News. This is from the start of the 2021-2022 school year, the Massachusetts governor deployed the National Guard to be bus drivers to take kids to school. Here's another article from the New York Times. Title is, Substitute Teachers Never Got Much Respect, But Now They Are In Demand. So because of these staff shortages, some schools are canceling classes. Others are basically hiring whatever substitute teachers they can find. In the article, so I'm looking at now, they talk about Oregon, which passed some law or executive order basically saying that you could bypass the regular certification to become a substitute teacher. I I don't know if y'all are familiar with the phrase glow up, but talk about a glow up for our substitutes. They went from the bottom to now they are highly in demand. The hard part though is there's not enough of them though. Is there ever enough? Right. And that's what I'm saying. They've had such a tough time. I know like currently there's um, what's happening at 
my son's school is that they're actually to the point where their substitute shortage is real too. So what goes on is when a teacher is out, kids get dispersed throughout the school. So Mm. a good friend of mine whose daughter is also there, her fifth grade student has spent all last week in a third grade classroom. Yeah. I mean, it's also coupled with the amount of teachers that are calling out because of the stress and uh, potentially quarantining their own children. So the amount of teacher absences has definitely increased combined with the lack of people to fill in and you have yourself a problem. What else do we have, Andrew? Yeah, this next one, this is the Washington Post article. Title is, The Principal is Cleaning the Bathroom, Schools Real with Staff Shortages. This was interesting in this article because I think it was the first time that I saw that they mentioned actually kids with disabilities or students with disabilities losing out on services. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely think about my own experiences over the last four months and in that we've all become jacks of all trades. You know, I have tools in my <laughs> office that I have to use to fix things or one day we might find ourselves in the cafeteria. One day we might be cleaning. And, and so it's it's funny but it's also really difficult, especially with our students with disabilities or getting the services they need because of staffing shortages. It's all kinds of complications. Yeah, and there are some reports about the federal government statistics on this, just to put like mm. real hard numbers. Yeah. There were 460,000 unfilled state and local education jobs right before this school year. That's almost three times as many as the start of last school year. But just educators, just workers in general, it just tends to happen with schools, it tends to have a bigger impact because those are the ones that parents and families see. And can you repeat that number again? Like how many unfilled state and local education jobs are out there? Yeah. So I looked at the government statistics on this. They said that there were 460,000 unfilled state and local education jobs before the start of the school year. 460,000, that's half a million. It's almost three times as many as the start of the last school year, so. Wow, I I mean, I can only speak to my own experience. In my own school, we are experiencing pretty major shortage of special education. I mean, we need to fill at least 12 positions, and that's not including the food services, the bus drivers, the climate staff, secretaries, I mean, just in general, Everybody has been overworked, and we really hope that it's not going to start negatively impacting our students. Andrew, thank you so much for sharing this information. I think it's a great start off to have our conversation. Anytime. So, Marissa, what do you think about all this? I definitely agree that there's a teacher shortage this year. However, I'd like to push that there's been a teacher shortage, I think, especially in the area of special education for... Yep. Honestly, since I can remember, I know back when we first started our friendship, when we were working together, it wasn't that bad at that time. I don't remember the teacher shortage at that particular time in our school being as severe as it is now within the last five years. And more specifically now, after being in the thick of the pandemic, especially when we think about our kids going back to being in person, I feel like that's impacted a decline for sure, which is added, of course, to the teacher shortage. Why do you think this is happening? What are some of the reasons why this shortage is is so prevalent right now? I mean, if you look at it as a whole, I feel like there's multiple layers to this. One reason that I feel like the shortage of teachers in special education is real Mm -hmm. is because a lot of new teachers who are just coming into it, they're coming into this teaching profession at 
this very interesting time in our history where there's a lot more areas that are gray that we have to figure out how to best serve our students. And so even though you might have went and got your certification and did your classes and this, that, and whatever about how to support students, they might know all of that information, but putting it into practice in a virtual slash in-person world, I think has added this extra layer of stress that some very new teachers that are coming into this are leaving quick. And then you have the opposite, right? Then you have the veteran teachers who have been doing this work for 10, 15, 20 years and have also either gotten burnt out because, again, it's like adding additional parts to their workload of having to navigate the pandemic alongside of supporting their students writing documentation. Yeah, the burnout is definitely real. Just from what I see, regardless of where you're located, what region you might be in, it seems like the appeal to become an educator is not as strong as it might have once been in prior generations. And you're right, it's stressful. It's extremely stressful. And special education, to me, requires a very specific type of person, like somebody that goes above and beyond. Every building Mm -hmm. I've ever been in, our best special educators are amazing teachers, probably some of the most caring individuals in the building. I mean, I remember you and how (laughs) you would advocate for your kids above everybody else. Keeping that up, it requires a lot of energy. And if you're stressed out with life in general and with the pandemic, it makes it a lot harder to want to jump into this. I appreciate the shout out. What about our students that are people of color? What about our students who are in our marginalized communities? What about our Mm -hmm. students that are already experiencing just systemic oppression? How does this impact them? That's like a really big piece of it. And I think that our students in, especially our students where they're back in person, in their in urban areas where they're already struggling with having resources prior to the pandemic, resources weren't there before. A lot of our black and brown students then that are either going to get ignored, they're not going to get the services, so they're going to get ignored and not get the proper education, or they're going to be pushed outside of the classroom or outside of the school because their needs aren't getting met because there's literally no one there to meet their needs. Just thinking about today, my school right now has over 40% of our students within special education and 97% of our students are African-American. Obviously, we have a large population of folks that are fitting into multiple categories. And I can say that the lack of staffing is adversely affecting how they're able to feel success. Specifically for our students of color, do you feel like there's a shortage of special education teachers of color too? Absolutely. That's something that has like probably been happening again longer than not just pandemic times. I absolutely feel like that is something that has been a constant because even throughout my entire career, I really... And I was fortunate, right? I feel like at least like working in Philadelphia, I was able to be in a more diverse setting with who I was teaching alongside of. Like I felt like most of the schools, we had a nice diversity on our team. And I'm in a virtual charter that serves the entire state of Pennsylvania. I'm the assistant principal. And Mm. I'll be honest, like when I walk into the room and especially for our ninth graders, when it's a first experience with the school. So many of the moms that get to meet me knowing that I'm one of the assistant principals and I I look like their sons or I look like Mm. their uncles or I look like their dad or I look like their little brother and I, I speak the same language and I relate in that area. It makes such a difference. Not to say that folks cannot relate, not to say that our white teachers can't find ways to 
make that happen, but it does make a difference. Like the the representation mm-hmm. side of it makes a difference. And so not only are our students not having staff in general, but then we're lacking somebody that they feel like they can relate to. So I guess I've, I feel like the lack of staffing and just the struggle and the shortage of finding quality people is probably going to have an impact for years to come. And not to be Debbie Downer, like this <laughs> is heavy. And I'm sure you've heard a lot of things that might make you think that this is an untenable situation. And in many aspects, it is really difficult. Both of us are in it right now as we speak. But say I'm a parent and I am a parent, by the way, (laughs) but say (laughs) I have a student or a child that has learning differences and my school might not have the special education teachers that are needed or there might be shortages as we've been describing. What do I do? What should I be doing? And so there's the legal way to answer that question, right? And then there's the parent way. Let's go with the parent way. Let's go with the parent way first. The parent way to me, and as a parent, I'm already like pretty consistently communicating with his teacher. That to me is like the first line of defense, right? Is is your student's direct teachers. As a parent, if you are noticing any of these inconsistencies, these shortages that your kid is not receiving what they need to receive, do attempt to go to the teacher first and build that relationship. Trying to build that relationship with the teacher, I think is the first step, whether it's on one of the apps that some schools use to communicate, whether it's like taking a moment to drop your kid off or pick your kid up at the end of the day, like having those conversations and trying to build that relationship with the teacher, I think is the first step. You and I both know the parents that are constantly in contact Mm -hmm. are the ones that we usually pay attention to. So, I mean, making it your purpose to really be intently like getting Mm -hmm. to know who the teachers are, getting to know the administration, just making your name and making it known who you are in the school, just really building that relationship starts with just picking up the phone call and asking to talk to the teachers. Yes, sending a text message. And I get it. Like, I know everyone is busy. I know everyone is working. I know a lot of families have multiple children. Like, I get that there is a time limit on things you can do. However, I feel like once you start that process, that is going to cut down then on all of those other calls that you might get because... They already have this knowledge of who you are, who your kid is. And I feel like you're right. As an educator on the other side of it, we probably did a lot more finagling for some of the students that we knew those parents. We knew what the parent was going to say or do, and we knew what they would recommend for us to do with their kid. And so that relationship would be number one. I do think, though, part of it is bigger than that, too. I do think depending upon where your student's at. And some of it is outside of the control of the teacher. I think a lot of it, too, is as the parent, getting yourself educated and getting knowledge on what it is. What does it mean for your student to have a certain disability or a learning difference? What does it mean for them to get certain supports? What should those supports look like? That's where I worry often, too, is there has to be some ownership sometimes on the family to understand this on their own, for their own interpretation, so Mm -hmm. they know how to best advocate for their student. Mm -hmm. Because the parents that do that well, it just lends itself to so much more conversation and action. You know, have conversations with your kids. Ask them, like, what works for you? What doesn't work Mm -hmm. for you? 
Tell me about your teachers. Tell me about your day. Tell me what was going well. Tell me about these different strategies the teachers use that really help you so that when you do have conversations in a meeting or even offhand with the school, you have something to build from. And I got to be honest, in our experience, and Marissa, you could back me up on this, part of the issues with our urban schools is that our parents sometimes don't know all of the rights they are afforded. They don't necessarily know as much about what they should be receiving. And so it's really on making sure that you're sharing that information with each other. We already have strong communities and in our communities of color, that's one of the best parts of it is that it is a collective. We are together. Now we have to share our knowledge with each other so that we can work together collectively to demand the rights that our students are afforded. Absolutely. Being part of the process. That's the most important piece. You have to be part of the process from beginning to end. And as we think about the teacher shortage in special education, it's real. We're not going to like pretend like it's not this thing that's actually happening. So it's definitely real. My thought, and especially being in the world of higher ed right now, we're already having conversations that are really optimistic about what can we change to make becoming a special educator more appealing and more accessible because it's such a need and we need good people in these roles. And once you're in the role, like there's a lot of fulfillment and there's so much you can do to see those students be able to learn within their abilities with the right teachers supporting them along the way. So I do feel like there is hope to move forward. This is where we're at now. Yes, there's a shortage. We are though actively thinking of ways to make it so that There is no more shortage, right? Like that's the end goal. Like there can't be this because at the end of the day, we don't want our students to be lost. We don't want our students not to get the support they need. So we talked about the parent way. What about the legal way? Say a school says, well, I'm sorry, there's a teacher shortage. So we can't really give you this service in your IEP. Yeah, not not an option, Julian, not an option. So one of the benefits of having federal government involved in IEPs and special education. And just as a reminder, an IEP is an individualized education plan, is that they're mandated. And parents have that right through their procedural safeguards to know that if it's in an IEP as what we call specially designed instruction or related service, schools can't say no. They, they can't. They can, of course, a school can, but however, there's consequences to that, right? This is the, the right of a student to have this education and to have their needs met. And so right now what I'm seeing is a lot of schools getting creative to make sure that they are able to meet the student's needs because you have to prioritize the individualized learning for that student. And you have to find a way because it isn't an option because it can turn into a lot of legal issues, honestly. And I know schools that are going through it where there is due process and mediation and, and overall do know their rights. And again, like we have to keep in mind that our students have to be first and we it's, it's a shame the shortage is real and it's unfortunate. Some schools are doing better than others at finding ways to make sure that they're following the legal part and, and getting related services for students. I know a lot of schools are starting to do things more virtually, which is helping to address this because that's been like a way where people sometimes feel more comfortable with related services. They're not going into homes or they're not going into schools. So we're finding ways to do it, but it is not a choice. It is absolutely a legal part that, that protects the student and the families. So, at the end of the day, everybody deserves a high-quality education. 
This has been the Opportunity Gap, a part of the Understood Podcast Network. You can listen and subscribe to the Opportunity Gap on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found what you hear today valuable, please share the podcast. The Opportunity Gap is for you. We want to hear your voice. Go to you.org slash Opportunity Gap to find resources from every episode. That's the letter U as an understood dot O-R-G slash Opportunity Gap. Do you have something you'd like to say about the issues we discussed on this podcast? Email us at OpportunityGap at understood.org. We'd love to share and react to your thoughts about the Opportunity Gap. As a nonprofit and social impact organization, Understood relies on the help of listeners like you to create podcasts like this one, to reach and support more people in more places. We have an ambitious mission to shape the world for difference, and we welcome you to join us in achieving our goals. Learn more at understood.org slash mission. The Opportunity Gap is produced by Andrew Lee, Cynthia Pimentel, and Justin D. Wright, who also wrote our theme song. Laura Key is our editorial director at Understood. Scott Koshier is our creative director. Seth Melnick and Brianna Berry are our production directors. Thanks again for listening.